0: Thank you, Scott. And I uh, want to welcome all those who are joining us as well on Facebook Live. And um, just a little, little bit more information uh, from, about Pleasant Street. They're going to be voting today to call Josh Chambers as their next pastor. And then next Sunday is going to be Noel's final Sunday with them. And they're holding a, a celebration, you know, uh, for him, like an open house on Sunday afternoon the 29th from 2 to 6, I believe. It might be 2 to 5, but I think it's 2 to 6. And I know some of you have made connections with Noel over the years and might want to swing by and just get a chance to greet him and and, uh, wish him well and and let him know you're going to be praying for him as he shifts to a relationship, uh, a service role in um, North Carolina where he's going to be serving multiple churches through their pastors. He's going to be what we call a director of missions. So he'll be working with a network of about 65 to 70 churches. So... Well, I finally have an easy task today, a pleasant task. I get today to tell you, from God's Word, how to have great relationships. And it's it's really pretty simple. It's really pretty hard, but it's really pretty simple. You know, we've been in this journey of looking at relationships for the last three weeks. And we've got a few more weeks to go, and... and you know, next week we're going to look at how do you handle difficult people in your life. I know none of you have any of those, right? So you don't have any problems with difficult people in your life. But we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then later on we'll have a couple of things. We're going to look at specific types of relationships and what God teaches us about those. But, but today our journey leads us specifically to the question, how is it that you and I have great relationships? You know, we, we've already been in the journey. We've understood in week one, as we've looked at relationships and how to try to minimize the mess... Brian talked about the mess that happened in relationships, right? And how discouraging and depressing that was and the impact that it had. We're trying to figure out how to minimize the mess, but then to maximize the benefit, like the latter part of his story, where the, the people who came into his life, the way that they ex- lived out their faith, the way that they expressed their love for him, their patience for him, that he, he brought the, he, they brought him along through their grace, through the grace that God extended through them. So we're trying to figure out how to minimize the mess and maximize the benefit and, The first thing we we started with is that you and I simply have to admit that we need relationships because that's the way God's made us. Some of us try to fool ourselves. I don't really need relationships. I can do this on my own. The answer to that question is no, you can't. The way God wired you when he created you And the way God wired you when you were born again in Jesus Christ, God has wired us to need relationships. And when you and I try to function without them, without engaging in them and being a part of them, we we really are missing out on the identity that God's given us in Christ. That's why when we are born again in Christ, we are born into the body of Christ, and we are designed to be in interdependent relationships. God's also commanded us, to be in good relationships. Jesus looked at it, you know at his disciples and said, you know what? I give you a new command. The way that I loved you, go love other people the exact same way. It's not optional. It's like, eh, hey, you know, I'll think about it. Let me see if it's a good idea. Let me see if it fits into my life plan, right? It doesn't work that way. What it comes down to is that God has said we're supposed to love one another the way he has loved us. And last week, we, we kind of looked at what does it really take to do that? You know, and... and 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 the focus was, we we often want to think, of well, how do I change my behavior? And, and, And we're trying to work on the things that we do, but the encouragement from the scripture is for us to focus on who God has made us to be in Jesus Christ, to focus in, feed on this transformed heart, this new identity, this new creation that God has given us, that when we... Respond to God's invitation to enter into a relationship with him based upon Jesus Christ. He, he gets in our hearts, he cleans it up, he purifies it, he cleanses it for the exact reason so that you and I can love one another sincerely from the heart. Just focus on who we are on the inside. But today we get down to very practical stuff. And and really it's just a, a single, how is it that you and I go out day to day and create great relationships? And and here's, here's, here's where it comes from, Right? In order to have great relationships, you have to be great. And biblically, in order to be great, you have to be a servant. And do you know that all four of the Gospels contain teachings of Jesus related about how to be great? He never discouraged us from having the ambition to be great. He just said, you're getting it wrong most of the time, and this is what you need to be thinking about. And then the Apostle Paul picks that up, along with others Writers in the New Testament, people that God uses to communicate his truth to us and says, you know, that same principle about how to be great in the kingdom, that's exactly the way it works in creating great relationships. Now, some of you are saying, nah, it's not that easy. Some of you are thinking, yeah, nah, it's not that hard, <laughs> right, you know? It, and, and so I want to lay out a little bit of a biblical foundation for us about the fact that great relationships are rooted in serving. Great relationships are rooted, built upon. They, they, they are infused with a heart to serve. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, and, and uh, to Matthew chapter 20. If you're here in our, in, in a, in our, uh, on our campus and you'll, we have Bibles underneath your chairs for you, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. Our text today, as we start, is on page 833. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. And, and I'm going to read verses 20 through 28 for us in just a minute. We're going to have on the screen, it's kind of a focal, of the passage we're going to really concentrate in this statement, but a little bit of context. You know, we're over towards the end of Jesus' life. He's actually on his way to Jerusalem from Galilee. And he's gone out across the, um, the Jordan River, come down the Jordan River Valley on the east side, and he's crossed the Jordan River. He's still in the Jordan River Valley. He's come through Jericho, has the whole Zacchaeus thing. Zacchaeus, you know, it was a wee little man, a wee little man. was he, you know, he, And he's up on the, in the tree, and he's had all that connection. And now they're on their way up to Jerusalem. And, and, and the disciples know that the moment is coming. They, they, they know that the moment that they've been waiting for and they have no idea what it's really going to be. But the moment they've been waiting for is going to happen. And, and a couple of them with their mother. I think their mother was behind them kind of kicking them a little bit. James and John with their mother. They, they're, they're thinking about, you know what? We're going up to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to come into his kingdom. And you know what? There's 12 of us. And, and there, is, there is no structure. In any of this, uh, the 12 of us. So we need to put a little order to this chaos so that when we take over, we know how to run this city. We know how to run, we knew how to run this nation. You know, we, we got it. So, so they, they show up. Mom and, and you know, uh, Mark tells us that, that it was just James and John. Matthew says it was James, their mother, and them. Probably the picture is, is that they're, they're all together. Mom's kind of push, And they come up to Jesus and they say, you know what? We have this great idea. You need to get organized to run this kingdom you're coming into. And you need a COO and you need a CFO. You, you, you need an, you know, a vice president and a secretary of state. And we know just the two guys to do it. And and it's James and John. And And, and, and so we pick up the story in that context. So follow along, if you will, in your Bibles. And... Verse 20 of chapter 20. This is page 833. So God speaks to us through Matthew, and he tells us about this experience, and says, the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. So Mark leaves out that detail that, that she was with them, but the same experiences. So she kneels down to ask him for something, right? You know, so real dramatic, right? The, the bended knee, the whole thing. And he says, well, what do you want? And she says, promise, she said to me, him, that these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left in your kingdom. (laughs) But Jesus, you know, he answers, says, you you don't know what you're asking for. says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they're thinking, cup, king, probably wine, that's good. Yeah, yeah, we could do that. He said, yeah, you know, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my father. So when the other ten heard this, they were ticked. They were indignant because they didn't think of it first. Right? That's, that's my interpretation. Right? But they're ticked. They're massive. So they became mad at James and John and said, well, why don't we? But Jesus calls them all together. So Jesus says, all right, guys, time to huddle up. We're going to get, a, we're gonna get a, a flag on this because it's illegal procedure. We're going to have more than 11 guys on the huddle. He said, but let's, let's huddle up. Right? And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. And the men of high position, they exercise power over them. So in the days of Jesus, the measurement of greatness was how many people had to do what you told them to do. That's what made you great. You had lots of people that you could order around. In our day, I think it's much more like this. Greatness is about how many, how many people can you pay to do what you want them to do. That's how we measure Greatness. Right? If, if you've got the most and you can afford to pay a lot of people to do the stuff for you, then somehow you're great. Right. That's, I think that's our definition. He says, he says on the contrary, he's, in verse 26, he says, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great, it's okay by Jesus if you want to be great, right? But you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you, must be slave. In other words, greatness is not by going up, it's by going down. Right? Greatness isn't about going up, it's about going down. See how far down you can get to where you're serving the most people. And you know why? Because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We hear that story from Matthew. Mark tells us the same story. Luke gives us almost the exact same teaching, but it's in a different context. Right, so they're on their way up to Jerusalem when Jesus is doing this teaching. You know, they're walking around the road. He said, "All right, guys, let's slow down for a minute. Let's huddle up. You know what, guys? Let's get this straight. Greatness is a wanting to be great is a good thing. You just don't do it by trying to climb the ladder. You do it by trying to go down the ladder and see how many people you can influence by serving them. And just look at the way I've lived my life. Well, you, know, you, you would think the light bulb's going to go on, right? And it probably did for about a half a mile." But by the time they get to Jerusalem, they forgot all about it. So on the very last night of his life, Thursday night of of Holy Week, the night that they're celebrating the Passover, the night that they institute the Lord's Supper, all those kinds of things, the disciples are sitting at the table and they're arguing with one another again. No, 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 I'm getting that job. No, you get that. Oh, I'm I'm more important. And they're arguing again. Jesus has to teach them again. You look at it in Luke chapter 22. So the exact same lesson takes place just a few days later. Right? The light bulb went on, the light bulb went off. <laughs> right? And they have to be retaught. And Jesus is, you know, I, I may be putting words in his mouth and reading between the lines, but he's thinking, you know what, it's not going to be enough for me just to, to tell them this truth. i gotta, I got to act this out where they're never going to forget it. And that's what we get in John chapter 13. I'd love for you to turn with me to John chapter 13. This is page 915 in your pew Bibles. 915, John chapter 13. You might be thinking, well, this is pretty early in Jesus' life because we're kind of still in the middle of his book, but no, this is actually on Thursday night of the final day. He's gonna die the next day on the cross. And so they're they're gathered together and they've just they've been having this discussion and he's just he's just talked about the um you know how to be great and they've done the Lord's Supper and stuff, and 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 Jesus thing, oops. It's okay. What a great example of service, right? They just hopped up and ran ran right to it. You got to pull those things back into your message a little bit, right? So Jesus is, is, you know, they're gathered in the upper room, and they're arguing. He said, man, I thought we got this taken care of, you know, and and, and says, you know what? I, I got to do something they're never going to forget. And Jesus does something that's totally unexpected by them. Gets up from the table, and they would have been reclined, leaning on one elbow. He gets up from the table, he takes off his clothes, he puts on his work clothes, puts on a towel, and he takes a bowl of water, and he does something that only a slave would be expected to do in the nation of Israel. He goes one by one to the disciples and begins to wash their feet. You know, when they traveled in those days, they, they all wore sandals, right? You know, they didn't, they didn't have high t- that kind of stuff. It was all sandals. And the roads, they, they weren't paved. They were dusty. Some of the roads had dust that thick on them. Just, just, like, a, just like walking on a beach <laughs> of just fine dust, right? And, and, and when it rained, they were just muddy. They were just muddy. So when you went to any Jewish home, one of the things you would find outside the door before you entered in was there was always a pot of water, pot with water in it that you could use to wash your feet. And, and in the upper level houses, especially when you went to some kind of a function, a gathering, a party, right, there would always be somebody there who would perform the role of washing your feet. And that would always be a slave. In fact, you know, um, rabbis would take on disciples. And and really, you know, the the, the, the beginning stages of that <laughs> where it, it was almost like kind of being in a fraternity and you're at the bottom of the level, right? Because they, they would make those guys do everything for them. You know, make my meals, clean my clothes, do whatever, but they would never, ever ask those guys to wash their feet. Never. So here's Jesus at the table, and he gets up, he takes off his clothes, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, for John, it's this, this whole thing serves two purposes. One, it's a picture of the way God's going to cleanse us through Christ, and make us fit to be a part of the kingdom. It's a redemptive act, and demonstrating that Jesus is the means by which we become clean. But it's also an example for us to live out in our relationships, right? Let's read together just a little bit. Verse 12 of chapter 13. It said, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, Do you not know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. This is well said, for I am. You say, you say I matter, something important. You know I'm, I'm significant, right? And you call me teacher and Lord. So, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Feet, for I've given you an example that you all should should do. What is that? Serve, right? You should also do just as I have done for you. So he goes on to verse 16. I assure you, a slave is not greater than your master. You guys don't get to escape this, right? It's not like somehow you get to be more important. You say, yeah, that's what Jesus has to do, but I don't have to do that. He said, no, no, no. A slave's not greater than his master, and a messenger, that's us, is not greater than the one who sent him, and that's Jesus. He sends us. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. So you see in the in the gospels, Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus taught it on the road to Jerusalem. Luke and John tell us that Jesus taught this in in the upper room, the final hours of his life. He says, "Guys, you got to get this right. It's super that you want to be great, but you got to be you got to go about greatness the right way, and that is to be the servant of all." And it's interesting that Paul Pecks that same truth up, and he connects it to the way you and I have great relationships. I want to point you to one more passage, and then I'm going to give you just a few points to consider as a part of this. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5 with me. Galatians chapter 5. It's page 992 in the the Bibles that are underneath your chairs. Just a little context. Paul has a relationship with this network of churches that's in an area of the Roman Empire known as Galatia, right? And he had been among them and had taught them but some heresy was starting to develop in the church you know so and and they had, so he had come in and he had taught them that salvation is not merit based salvation isn't dependent upon what you do you don't have to earn it right salvation is is by substitutionary atonement. That's a big term we use. But it's su- redemption comes by the fact that God grants us his grace because of what God, Jesus, did for us on the cross. So it's not meritorious anymore. It is by substitution. and and so. But there were those in the church who were starting to twist that teaching. And it was going in two different directions. One side was saying, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't earn our salvation, but... Once, once we're saved, we have to do certain things to keep our salvation. So they want to say, well, you know, salvation isn't merit-based, but, but living out salvation is merit-based. And so they're saying, you know, there's certain rules we still got to keep. And one of the things they would have pointed to was circumcision. If you're Greek, otherwise other words, you weren't Jewish, and you came to know Christ, you should be circumcised. Because that's what the law says. And Paul, back and forth in a number of places in this book and in other places, says, you know, if you're going to do that, you've got to keep the whole law. And so he has this wonderful phrase just before what we're going to read. He says, you know what? I wish those guys would just, I wish they wouldn't just get circumcised. I wish they'd get castrated, right? You didn't think you were going to hear that word today in the sermon, but it's actually in the Bible, right? You know, and so I feel good about using it, even if it's just a little shock therapy for you to wake you up in the middle of my message. But there were other guys and the other guys saying, hey, listen, you know, if our relationship with God doesn't have anything to do with what we do, doesn't have anything to do with the way we live our lives, man, let's, let's go out and live it up. Let's go out and live it up. And so he writes to them in Galatians 5, 13, and this is what he says to them. He says, for you were called to freedom. God left you Set you free from needing to earn your salvation, to somehow achieve it, to merit it. He says, but brothers, don't use this freedom as an opportunity to flesh. In other words, to serve yourself. But then what does he say? But serve one another through love. God has remade you in Christ, rewired your heart, purified it, cleaned it up that we looked at last week, got you ready to love other people. He says, you know what? Then go out there and love Other people, you know, and serve them. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement love your neighbor as yourself. Now, so here's the good news and the bad news. The way to have great relationships is to serve other people. The way to have great relationships is to serve other people. Serve the people who are in your life, serve the people who are coming into your life, serve your family. Your spouses, your children, your neighbors, the people you work with, the pe- guy, person, kid who sits in the seat next to you at school, the way to great relationships is service. It's simple, but it's incredibly hard. So I, I got a few points for us, and these are going to come up on the screen one by one. But here's my first point. When we look at this, all right, when we look at this reality, we can see that the good news for us, is that every single one of us can have great relationships. Now listen to this. Every single one of us can have great relationships because every single one of you has the potential to serve others. Right? God wouldn't script it out for you and I to have great relationships through service and then design us to be people that, well, we just can't serve. I don't care if you're 12 I don't care if you're 52, I don't care if you're 102, there are ways that we can serve other people. And so every single one of us has the capacity to have great relationships. That doesn't mean every single one of us is going to choose to have great relationships because we serve other people, but we have the potential, every single one of us, to have great relationships. Isn't that good news? Yes. Right? You know, now some of you know, I got some people in my life I don't want to serve. You know, and we're going to talk about that next week, all right? So I'm just going to leave that one aside a little bit. That's, that, that's, that, that's that the old turn the other cheek, praying for your enemies, going the second mile. We're going to look at that next week. I shouldn't have told you guys because you guys probably aren't going to come next week now, right? It's like, I don't want to learn any of that stuff, right? So, but the first threat is, is all of us can have great relationships, right? Now, some of us think, man, I'm in some bad space. Well, you know what? You can serve your way out of it. Here's the second truth. Learn, repeat. Learn, repeat. Learn, learn it again, learn it again, learn it again, learn it again, and just keep going, right? It's just, it just keeps going. You know, um, again, think about the disciples, right? Gee, I mean, they're going up to Jerusalem. They know things are going to happen. Jesus takes the time, breaks out of the stride, and says, Guys, listen, I got to teach you you know it's all right to be great but man if you're going to be great you got to serve other people right you're not you're not like everybody else you can't get your model from the world you can't look around the way everybody else is doing what you have to do is you got to look at the way i've lived it out and that means in order to be great you got to serve people you know how long that lasted about a half mile right <laughs> And then they get into Jerusalem. Now, hey, you know, they're arguing again. I know I should get that job. No, no, no. You guys should all be reporting to me, and then I'll take all the problems to him. And, and They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. You know? And, and they just don't get it. And, and, and because you and I still have a nature that's not totally sanctified. It's fully redeemed, but not totally sanctified. If you don't know what those terms are, it's no big deal. But yeah, we need to learn and repeat learn and repeat. You know, this is one of the reasons why I think accountability groups or having a mentor in your life or somebody you're connected with who asks you this kind of stuff, are you serving other people in love? The next time you see them, they say, are you serving other people in love? Are you serving your spouse in love? Are you serving your kids in love? Are you, are you serving your boss in love? Are, you know, are you serving your neighbor in love? You know, these are profound, but we need to learn and repeat. Learn and repeat. I, you know, I, I think both of my boys had the same teacher at this point, but but I know one of them, they, one of the ways that they learned how to do ma- do arithmetic, to do addition and subtraction, was that they would just, they did these things called mad minutes, right? So I guess in class, what they would do is they would get a math sheet, right? And then they, you'd have 60 seconds to see how many of the problems you could get done. And, you know, i, I at least my boys were competitive, right? They, they wanted to be first, right? So they bring these sheets home and we do it at the house, right? Dad, set the watch. Tell me when 60 seconds is up. and you know, with Just sheer repetition, you know? And, and, and we learn by, we need to learn and repeat. Learn and repeat, right? We can have great relationships, but we're gonna learn and repeat. Third truth. Doing this is going to take humility. Doing this because the kind of service we're talking about is a gift; it's not a payment. See, a lot of us, what we want to do, say, "Yeah, I'll serve you," but you got to earn it. And that's not the kind of that's not the kind of service that's going to create great relationships. The kind of service that's going to create great relationships is that when we serve and we give to others as a gift. I mean, that's the way Jesus came. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And what? And to give his ransom for those who were his enemies. It's a gift. It's not something they earned. It's not something they achieved. It's not something they merited. But it's something that we give freely. And that takes humility. It takes humility. You know, I told the first service, you know, this is a simple illustration, right? There's more truth to this than I'd like there to be, but but you know when when I'm sitting at home and especially when the boys were still living there like college days and that kind of stuff, and and I'd have the TV remote in my hand, right? And I'm thinking in my head, I pay the bills, <laughs> you know, I earn the right to have this remote in my hand, and then you go you go to hand it to them so that we can watch it. It's like. <sighs> it's just hard to give it up, you know, but there's an aspect in there where you just have to give it away. It may be, it, but you've got to give it away. I think that's part of what the whole washing of the feet thing is such a big, huge deal with, is because Jesus is doing something that's totally unexpected. It's beneath anything he should be doing. He just blows them away because it's such a humble act. And there's a way, you and I are not going to create great relationships in our lives. Until we're in a position where we're serving other people in humility, we're giving them a gift. We're not paying them back, and this leads to my my next truth, and is that this kind of service is costly. You cannot do this type of service without giving yourself away, and 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 it involves giving it. it you might want to use the word sacrifice, whatever term you know works for you, but it, it involves giving a part of yourself away. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's your money. Sometimes it's your energy. Sometimes it's just simply your focus, right? It's just turning everything off out, putting your phone in your pocket, and looking your spouse or your child in the eye and actually talking to them and listening. It takes, it, it takes sacrifice. It, it is something we have to give of ourselves if it's going to work. The last truth I'd like you to see is that this kind of of service is directional. This kind of service takes you into contact with other people. It doesn't lead you away from them. I I, I think we live in a time where a lot of us want to do good Samaritan type ministry. I'll I'll make a little contact with a person. I'll get them to the inn. I'll pay the bills, but then I'm out of here. That's not the kind of service that creates great relationships. It's the kind of service that gets you out of your comfort zone, draws you closer to people, gets you involved in their mess, and in the midst of that, the service turns it around where you can maximize the benefit. It maximizes the benefit. You know, God wants us to be great. God wants you and I to have great relationships, and he's told us how to do that, right? Which is to serve. Serve other people in love, the kind of love that goes towards them, that gives to them, that costs us something, something that, that requires humility, right? And, and, and it's consistent. And the list just kind of goes on. And, 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 and that's the, that is what God uses to make us great so that we can have great relationships. And I, I love what Jesus says in John chapter 13, which we read just a minute ago in the 17th verse. He says, and if you know these things, and you'll do them, you will be blessed. How many of you want to be blessed this morning? <laughs> you know what you just signed up for, right? You know, you're, the person sitting next to you, says, I remember, you raised your hand, you said... But if you know these things and you do them, you are blessed. Let's be a blessed people. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. Thanks that your passion for us is to be great, Thanks that. Your passion for us is to have great relationships. God, thanks for keeping it simple. It's simple enough that I can even remember it. Just serve. Serve people in love. God, in the same moment, it's totally overwhelming. And God, that's where we need your grace poured into our lives. So God, help us take the simple, which is incredibly challenging, and make it reality in our lives as we place our faith in Christ and pray in his name. Amen. Amen.